Okay, welcome business warriors. We are here, Business Warrior Book Club. We are on our next book, which is You Need More Money. And whenever you go to a bookstore, right? Whenever you're on Amazon, whenever you're doing anything, if you see a book about money and it's pointing at you, I highly recommend that you pick it up and read it, okay? Because if this catches your eye, it means that money is an important topic and subject to you. And if you are a human being living on planet Earth, it absolutely should be. So if this book offends you, just keep walking, turn this video off, and you don't have to pay any attention to what we're saying today. But what I want to do is welcome Matt Monero to our book club because we are going to read this book for the month. We're going to dissect it. But what I love about Matt is that he is proven. So we have someone that's speaking to us that is a successful entrepreneur, a successful person, has a business that does over $100 million a year. So first off, man, my hat goes off to you. That's phenomenal. That's a landmark for people to crush. And I know, I know exactly where you're going right now. He's not thinking, you know, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to go on vacation right now. You know, he is looking to go to the next stratosphere. Uh, Four-time Inc. Magazine, fastest growing company in America. That is phenomenal. Mm. So, you know, you are a person that specializes in finance. But what I know, Matt, is that business has principles. And if you follow these principles, you can take it from business to business. And it all rings true. You know, when you hear the truth, the truth resonates with you. And so this is why whenever I pick up something and read, can I go through it, read it, digest it? Does it make sense? Is it like, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's, that's how I know it's truth because I'm in business and I can relate to this. So for our readers, for the people that follow the book club, you know, we want to get better. We want, we want the real juice. And that's why I want you to do most of the talking today. You are the real deal. You are a business warrior. You know how I know if someone's a business warrior? Mm. How do I know? I have I have no idea. I mean, I, I really don't. I, I don't I I don't have the answer to your question. I just yeah. know I am the real deal. That's For sure. And it's it's a it's a thing that it's in your eyes. Mm. Your eyes have a killer look. You mm. know what I mean? It's like you're out to hunt. You're out with purpose. Yeah. You have a stare of like, I'm not messing around. Like my life yeah. is not a joke. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a blamer. I'm not, uh, you know, a dreamer. It's like you say, I'm a, I'm a game changer. Like I go into things and I create, that's what an entrepreneur is. So first I want to say welcome. And if, if Matt, you could explain, you know, to the readers, like why this whole concept came to you, because you know, you went into business, obviously, like all of us do to make money, but you're still in business. And your message right now is you need more money, mm -hmm. more than you think. Where mm -hmm. did you get this concept? From? <clears throat> Thank you for having me. I love the passion and the intro and the, and the, um, the identification that, um, you know, I'm not some guy on social just pushing out, um, you know, snippets of, of what you should do. I mean, I'm, you know, like, it, like it, 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 I, I hope people appreciate the fact that, that, you know, I have achieved some stuff and I'm willing to share it because the reality is that what I have achieved took me too long. I mean, I was, I was dealing with so much head cheese 
and so much headwind, right? Um, as all entrepreneurs are. So um, we got to get ourselves out of the pain side of our businesses and into the pleasure side at, at some point. Otherwise, it wasn't worth the journey of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. Um, but the genesis of the, uh, genesis of the book was uh, different than my first book. My first book, The Grit, was to get exposure for the business and for me, um, also to tell a simple story. But this book was a life-changing event. My brother-in-law my wife's only brother was diagnosed with cancer, stage four cancer, a couple years ago. And, um, and as I began to get in to help him, you know, and, and sort of really put a task force together to try to get him better, we realized that he had, he had no health insurance, no life insurance, and 100 bucks in the bank. Wow. And, um, you know, there's no zero down financing with cancer. So you're not getting the best treatment if you don't have health insurance. And he didn't. Um, and uh, it was an incredibly devastating time in our lives because my wife and I have been married 20, uh, 20 plus years, and I think we have a great marriage, but I know she loved her brother more than she loves me. And so it was literally the worst person for something like that to happen to for my wife. And uh, so it was very, very problematic for us. The beautiful part was that I did have my money situation right, and I was able to drop in, and my wife and I together were able to drop in and handle all of his financial needs in an effort to try to get him better. And that is the other side of the book, which is, on one hand, you need more money because you don't know what's coming, whether it's cancer diagnosis or regulation change or competition or two planes in the sky. But the other side is, man, it's awesome to be able to drop in and, and remove those worries to try to get somebody you love uh, better. It did not work for us, though. He passed almost one year uh, to the day. So he died at 47. He left a wife and four children with no health insurance, no life insurance, and 100 bucks in the bank. Wow. You know, Matt, this is something that, you know, is very passionate to me. Uh, being in business and, and working with people, I'm always pressing upon them that when you have an opportunity to work, work like you, like it's nobody's business. There's complete focus because you have a task to become great because the one day where someone calls on you to help, what are you going to do when you have like a helpless situation? You should be that guiding light. And, you know, it's easy to walk away from friends that are not doing well, but when you have family, like how did you navigate through this? Like when you have family that is, you're, you're going through business and you have to get really good and you have family that is, you know, not really supporting of your dreams. How do you stay focused, stay clear in your vision of why you have to become great? Cause you know, one day that very same person could be asking for your help and that's on you. You take ownership to be able to say like, listen, man, I, I got you. I have your back. How, yeah. Help us. People don't want to hear this, but there's a tremendous requirement for selfishness. Yes. And people don't want to hear that. They think that everybody has to help everybody. No, you don't have to help. That. Look, I, I'm a huge Zig Ziglar fan from the old days, and Zig used to say, uh, if you help enough people achieve what they want, eventually you'll be able to receive what you want. And I just completely disagree with that. And you got to go out into the marketplace and get your piece of the American pie. Now, whether that's entrepreneurship or that's working for somebody else, you got to take care of your own family and your own needs first before you ever think 
about going out and helping somebody else. And I know that that's controversial and people don't like to hear that, but that's the, that is the approach. Why do you think all these people are coming out? Guys like, and I know these guys, a guy like Milet or, um, you know, even a Hector Lamarck or even a Cardone, all these highly successful people, maybe myself, are starting to come out. It's because we already got our money. The problem is when people who don't have any money are coming out and saying all this bullshit. What you need to do is get your money right and then go help a bunch of people. 100. I completely agree with this. So this brings us to a topic that you talk about in here, which is something that, you know, when you start a business and you do well, everyone looks at you and says, I want to be you. And while that is very flattering, some people are just not equipped at that time to be you, but their dreams are ahead of their feet. And what I mean by that is like some people are just dreaming too large, but they haven't done the work to like actually move towards their dreams. And so what happens to people in entrepreneurship, the first thing that you need to do is apprentice under a really phenomenal entrepreneur. You have no business getting in business if you just think it's going to happen because we know the stats like 98% of small businesses fail in 10 years. So forget about the year. And this is like, you know, if there's a 2% success rate, like who's placing a bet on that horse, right? So how do we, how do, how do we train and teach people? And why is it so important for people to understand that be a good worker, develop your skills where you say skill up before you decide to like jump into being an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is about serving the world and, and nudging it forward little by little. But we can't do that if we're not really solid in who we are because we're going to get attacked. We have to have like such a strong mental background. This is why I say you have to be a business warrior. So how, how do we, as we come into business, know that we have to be a great worker, then move our way up to potentially being an entrepreneur instead of just doing it quick from day one? Yeah, I'm a, as I talk about in the book, I'm a huge believer that it all starts with core values, right? What, what do we stand for and what are we willing to tolerate or not tolerate? <clears throat> and so most people want to go into business for themselves because they have bad data. They think that the, the, the owner is the one who plays golf all day, drives the Mercedes, lives in the mansion with the second house at the beach. And my experience is that that very rarely happens. And so it's false data. Usually, Mark Cuban, when he became a billionaire, said, I thought I would have much more free time than I do. I have less free time as a billionaire than I did when I was a multimillionaire. I have found that to be the case, that as I have accumulated more wealth, that I get busier I don't have more free time. So the, it's first off, we got to understand that being the boss is hardly what the employee thinks the boss's life is like. Right. Um, many years in this company, I had salespeople who earned more than I did. Many, many years, right? And so when you have your core value set, which is, it's okay. I'm, I, this is the pain that I have to go through to be able to get to the pleasure later on, um, you're okay with that. I was never upset. My wife was upset with that, right? She didn't like the sound of that. But I was okay with that. I knew that we had to feed the business. We had to feed the machine tokens so that eventually the machine could absolutely spit out tokens for us. And that's what happened. So to answer your question, 
most people need to get a real clear understanding of what being the boss is. And the only way you do it is exactly what you said. You have to apprentice. You have to work underneath someone who's already winning. It's also how you know whether you should leave your current job or your current platform. Because how many people do we know who leave us as entrepreneurs? Oh, my and they go someplace and it never was, the grass was never greener over there. It was just another silly false promise. And so we have to find, if we're going to leave, we have to find and identify someone who's winning at a level that we want to win to. And then we got to tuck in underneath them. And it could be for a year or two years or five years. Or maybe what happens is you say to yourself, I don't want to leave. I love this experience. This is powerful for me. I can help this person do better, and I don't have to have the responsibility. And that's the kind of environment I try to put in my office, which is, listen, we're all part, we're all spokes in this wheel, and some, some of us have to turn pedals, and some of us just have to sit on the seat. But they're yeah. all important. 100% true. Uh, you know, you asked, uh, you made that statement about tolerating. You know, as a successful business owner, I would like to know from you personally, what do you not tolerate in your business? So I refuse to tolerate when the individual makes a conscious choice to, to pull the throttle back. In other words, they have the ability to serve it up to their coworker or to their client on a silver platter, and they consciously choose to not. That makes my head spin. So when, when you consciously choose to do less than your best, I have zero tolerance for it. But listen, all of this stuff, Sabrina, came after many years of doing it wrong. So, so for the business owner who might be listening to you and they're saying, oh, you know, sounds easy for him. I get it because I did it wrong. Why? I tolerated that guy wearing Crocs to go see a client. I tolerated people doing liquid lunches. I tolerated people taking time off and not putting it on the office calendar. Why? Because I needed their revenue right? I was beholden to their, their revenue. And, and then it really about 2013, 2014, I said, that's it. I'm going to burn this place to the ground. We were doing well before that, but I knew it was unsustainable. And I said, I'm going to burn it to the ground and I'm going to rebuild it with mission statement and core values. And today, this year, we'll do 180 million bucks. And all of it is connected to the, what we call the torch. When I burned I it up that. and went back to mission statement and core values and said, here's who we are. Here's what we stand for, and you're going to sign on to this, or we're going to part ways. And that was tough. That was a tough year. It was, and in the book, you give a great example of going through that torching experience when you had one of your top people come to you and say, like, you know, the top people always want special treatment, right? <laughs> They're like, you know, these these are great rules, Matt, but of course they don't apply to me, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So, exactly. So this is this is where you know you've got a. I say like you have to nut up, you know. And this is coming from a woman. You know, most people are like afraid of using these words, but I'm just I'm just saying in today's world, if you don't have a spine, if you don't have like the the testicular fortitude to like stand by something that you believe in, you know, you, you are up for grabs. Anyone can go at you. Anyone can like destroy you because you're exposing how weak you are. Yeah, right. Yeah. And yeah. when, when a top person tests you at that level, can you walk us through like how you handle that? Because I think it's so important for people to hear this and understand that as a leader, you have to lead, yes. you know, this whole thing about, leaders like we 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 
we're loving and, and all this stuff. Leader is about influence. It's about controlling, but doing it in a responsible way that betters the lives of other people. But if you have a problem with controlling people, you shouldn't be a leader, right? Look, so it's our it, business, Sabrina. We ha it's our vision. Yes. So we have to paint the vision. We, it is our responsibility to have crystal clarity on the vision. And I go so far as to say, what does the office look like? What does the signage look like? What do the colors look like? Um, all of it has to be thought out by somebody, right? And that's usually one or two people. That's the way it is. Right. It's usually the owner or the partners. That's the way it plays out. And then what happens is real, all of it's great. We get the business cards done and everything, right? How many times have you had the entrepreneur that said, I said, how's your new business? Go? Oh, it's amazing. We just got our website done. And you're like, oh, really? You, let me guess. You just got your business card printed too, right? I mean, come on. That's like, it's so ridiculous. I remember I made a guy wait a year and a half here to get his business cards, you know, because I think they're so silly and just so, so unimportant, right? When a, when a sales guy comes to me and is like, hey, um, I'm ready to go on sales calls. I just need my business card. It's like my head spins, you know, it just, right. I go crazy or that stuff. But it, it is greater than just having a vision. You have to have clarity to the expectations of the vision because people need crystal clarity of what they're expected to do, what, what their job description is, and how do they win when they achieve it, and what do they get paid. And by the way, that's really important for the younger generation. Everybody's so, you know, with this millennial thing and that and the other thing. Listen, the millennials that I have in my office are powerful people. Right. They're more powerful than I was when I was 25 years old. They, they have focus and clarity. They do have core values and know what they stand for. And it's a requirement of the business to be able to deliver that environment. I love how LinkedIn does it. Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, says, we're only going to issue six months or 12 months employment contracts because we know that the company can deliver with 100% effort for six months and the employee can deliver back at 100% at effort for six months. And they know LinkedIn does have six months. Did you enjoy that? Hey, that worked out pretty good. Should we go another six months? Yeah, let's do another six months. And you're getting 110% commitment for these six-month increments. Whereas most businesses are like, boy, you know, we kind of hope you stay with us and we, we'd love you to be around for a long time and be a lifer with us. Man, that doesn't work anymore. It doesn't play like that. So clearly the expectations are critical. So what we did in the torch was I set very specific core values mission statement, expectations, and then I followed up with a new employment agreement. And that employment agreement really outlined what will happen to you if you do one thing, if you take your clients from us. And that's what really caused the torch in my office, were these veterans who were always on the fence of whether, should I stay or should I go? It forced them to make a decision, and I lost seven of my top guys in two weeks. It cost me 30 million bucks, just like that. And uh, they didn't want to sign the agreement. They were on the fence. They were half and half. And I said, it's no problem, man. Here's a box. Pack your shit. Get out of here. And one guy I talk about in the book made $567,000 the year that he would not sign the employment agreement. And he left and went out on his own. And, you know, I don't, I don't uh, stay in contact with him. But the word on the street is that he's, you know, dying on the vine. Well, Yeah, I, I think this is, uh, it happens in business all the time. And it's through the years, like, when this, when I first got into business, I've been in this business for 12 years. It's the only reason I started to talk about my experience because I look at your life in blocks of 10 until you've done something for 10 years, shut the fuck up. No one wants to hear from you. There's just too much fluctuations, right? So when I first started, 
I first started and, and someone, you know, wanted to leave me, I would like, I would seriously like look up how to curse people oh, and yeah, like of course. wish the worst on them. Totally. But, but now I'm just like, okay, no yeah. problem. Yeah. And then I'm pulling up to Starbucks and they're making my coffee. And I'm like, no, man, I'm good. So it's, you know, constantly evolving, constantly going. But let's go through this book because you have some some really good things in here. If I can dissect it uh, systematically it. with you, you know, the one thing I loved about your book is you break things down into, you know, subsections, but then you also say like, this is what you need to do. Okay. And so the first thing that you tell people is like, you, you need to figure out what you are. Are you a blamer? Are you a dreamer? Or are you a game facer? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you give a description of that. So take us through what is a blamer, what is a dreamer, what is a game facer, and then we can move on, like, what do you have to do from there? So we, it's the mindset piece, right? I mean, what do we identify mostly with? And we can all identify with these three types. The blamer is, um, you know, the economy sucks. You know, I can't believe Trump is in the White House or whoever's in the White House. It doesn't matter. Um, right. You know, I'm not educated enough. Uh, my boss hates me. I mean, these are things where we are deflecting our circumstances and blaming someone else for it. I make the argument there's no tolerance for that. They will not help you. Those people, whether they are your friends or their family, will bring you down. They are nightmarish to be around if you're trying to achieve and get ahead. The second is the dreamer, which I really like dreamers. Like I love my, you know, I want my friends to be dreamers because sometimes the, the third mindset of game facers are just a little bit too intense, right? I like <laughs> dreamers, the guys that, you know, it's, it's your, it's your old uncle who, you know, uh, loves to go for Philly's cheesesteaks. And when you drive with him to go get him, he's always telling you about that corner lot that he should have bought. Could you imagine if I bought that corner? Could you imagine what that corner lot would be worth today? I could have bought that oceanfront property for $100,000. Today it's worth a million, right? I, I actually enjoy those people, but they're not getting ahead because of the one thing that they haven't learned to do, which is pull the trigger and execute. They right. just can't get that courage to pull the trigger. And then the last one is the game facers, guys like me, clearly like you, who just simply say, get the fuck out of my way. I'm just going to win. That's it. I've picked the target. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win. And the reality is you probably should just come along for the ride. Because I'm good with being out front. I'll take the arrows and I'll keep going. Mm -hmm. And that to me is what so few people ever get to. Because they're so caught up in pleasing other people. They're afraid to make a decision. What if I made the wrong decision? And, and they end up, unfortunately, they do climb some hills, but the hills are pretty small. So like to your 10-year, your decade example, which I think is great, at the end of a decade, they look back and they're like, man, I didn't really, I didn't really get too far. You know, I thought I was working hard. I mean, I was really trying, but you didn't really achieve. The game facers set big, fat, juicy goals and nothing gets in their way to achieve them. And that's, that to me is where most people need to move towards. They don't necessarily 100% have to be a game facer all the time, but you know, 70% of the time is right. sure as hell better than what most people are. So those are the three mindsets of money. Number, the first one, the blamers, just cut them out, forget about them. They don't need them. The dreamers, keep them around and feel a little sorry for them and have a few laughs with them. And the game facers are the ones you got to watch. Right. 100%. And then you talk about, you know, moving from that broke 
to yeah. the accumulation yeah. phase of your life and then to getting to you know what we would call the rich then you talk about indestructible wealth really what i call you know freedom right so in terms of and and we say this word but it really i don't even know if it's true anymore because what you said in the beginning was true we think we have freedom but i've never been more busy in my life i feel like i just to this morning at four o'clock i'm working out and i'm like i can't catch my breath i really just need a moment but if you can if you can teach us you know sometimes when we're broke we we wish to get to indestructible wealth right away but i just i just know it doesn't happen you've got to go through these stages and master each one get to the accumulation phase master it become rich then now start to build indestructible wealth so can you move us through those those cycles i love this broke is the easiest one to get out of actually most people think it's so difficult it's the easiest thing but the thing i tried to do and i hope you uh, by the way thanks for for spending the time in the book sabrina i mean i i'm grateful that you actually took these concepts and we're talking about them because because what I was always looking for on this on this movement, this career development was, well, when do I know when I'm like where I'm supposed to be? Like, do I have enough? How do I know if I have enough? And so I tried to put real numbers in there. And so I define broke as having less than $50,000 liquid cash, like not not credit card debt or, you know, equity in your home. I'm talking about greenbacks in the bank. If you got 50 grand cash in the bank, I don't think you should call yourself broke anymore. You just achieved something because you could go a number, most people could go a number of months and therefore have freedom to make some choices to make this next evolution with 50K in the bank. And so I just think that's the number. 50 grand liquid cash in the bank and you no longer have to call yourself broke. But guess what? You sure as hell ain't rich. Right. You're, you're now in accumulation mode, which is where we really got to hammer down on the throttle and we got to stack and rack cash. And so the follow-up to that of the three phases of wealth, which is broke, accumulation, rich, is the litmus test, which I think uh, it works beautifully in all different ages and, and wealth. So it's, it's a one, three, five, ten formula. If you remember it from the book, someone needs to have a net worth of one times their salary in their 20s. So if a, guy's, a gal's making 50 grand, they need to have 50 grand Net worth, not liquid cash, net worth in their 20s. It bumps up to three times in your 30s. So if you're in your 30s, you're making 100 grand, you need to have $300,000 in net worth. In your 40s, it bumps up to five. So let's say you're making 200 grand in your 40s. Now you need a million and it mm -hmm. bumps up to 10 in your 50s. And let's say that you're a top producer, you're making 500 grand in your 50s. You need to have a net worth of 5 million bucks. And those thresholds are the really scary wake-up calls that people are emailing me and sending me direct messages on and saying, oh my God, I'm scared to death now. Perfect. That's exactly what this book is supposed to do. It's supposed to wake the reader up to say, you're way behind, man. Get on the freaking stick. Yeah. And you know, in today's world, this is a message that I, I preach to my team. It's just so easy to feel safer than you are. <laughs> like we go in our air controlled car to our air controlled house you know, everything is a push of a button. And so like, we don't, we don't even feel the wind when it hits us. We don't even feel the rain anymore. Like everything is just protect, protect. And, you know, I, I love this because it even, it even talks about the, the part that I love the most. And this is for people that are doing well. And the reason why I'm talking to people that are doing well is because I have a lot of people 
that follow me that are exceptional at what they do, but that's your biggest enemy to think that you're good when you're not indestructible, you know? And, and I've had that happen to me where I thought I was indestructible and then I got punched in the face and I was like, oh, never mind. Let's build it back up again. So I, I learned now that, you know, that premise that you, this is, this is key. So if for people that are doing well, you've got to do this sooner than later, that two bank account rule. Mm. And I've always done this, you know, and I called it my freedom fund, mm. but I've always, the one thing that I'll add to yours is I've always paid myself first. You know, and because I always knew that if an emergency happened, I would find money to pay for that emergency. But why don't I ever find money all the time consistently for myself? Yeah, because th that's that's what I'm in control of. So if we have two bank accounts, you tell us in the book, you know, you have to have an operating expense account. You're going to deplete that, but then have another bank account with another bank that this is the only way really to have indestructible wealth. So one day when an opportunity of a lifetime presents itself, you can cash out and take your cash, take your money and multiply it out. Yes. And so many people, we're in an information age where people are like all these great opportunities, but you're broke. You can't do anything about it. You know, if you gave me investment advice today, I would listen to what you say. And if you told me where to put my money, I would put my money there because I have that little pot sitting there. So can we talk about that per se? Yes. Yeah. Go. So, so it's, it's really, it's so simple and yet so few people do it. And you're referencing it as two accounts. You call it your freedom account. I love it. I call it my reserve account, but it's the creation of two separate bank accounts one is your operating expense, which is connected to a budget. So for those people who don't want to do budgets, look, you got to do a budget. You got to, you got to have an idea of how much money you need to make to be able to live this lifestyle by design that you want for yourself, right? I mean, I don't argue what the budget should be. I had someone on my podcast recently who was, you know, talking about saving strategies and stuff like that. I'm like, get out of here, man. Come on. Really? Seriously, you're he's talking about like, you know, do we all need uh, Spotify and Amazon Prime? And I'm like, yeah, we all need all that sort of stuff. The problem ain't Amazon Prime and Spotify, dude. The problem is revenue, man. That's ridiculous. That's yes, I want Alexa and I want Prime. I want all of that stuff. So my point is the budget does not, in the book, does not go through penny pinching. It just says, write your stuff down, man. Where's your money going? And then the operating account is where your primary check goes into to cover that stuff. Everything else goes into your reserve account. Here's where the reserve account is different than a savings account. It has to be at a different bank, and that bank has to be extremely difficult to get to. So no check writing, no debit card, no credit card connected to the reserve account. Mine is literally at a two-branch bank that is closed on the weekends and closes at 5 o'clock during the week. It's a bitch for me to get my money out, and that's exactly why I do it that way. Because if you have two accounts and say they're both at Chase and they're both connected to your smartphone, you will transfer money from one account to the other and you lost all of the benefit. It has to be separate and it has to be very difficult because when you do the next step in the book, which is the development of this network, who do you know? Yes. Right? How do we connect with people who are already achieving where we want to go? How do we make that happen? And I give some pretty good stories, I think, about how I actually did I concretely said I need to improve my network and I set out to do it. And wouldn't you know it, 
the deals start coming across my desk. And the entrance level for those deals is always a hundred grand. Like the bare minimum buy-in on those deals is always a hundred thousand. And if you have it in your reserve account, you can pull the trigger and say, I'm in on that one. I'm in on that one. I'm in on that one. Then, you know, you have to do what I also talk about, the research and analysis in the book to determine what your risk tolerance is and all this sort of stuff of what that is. I, I, I think one of the things I like the most about the book is I don't care where you put your money. I don't care whether you do real estate. I don't care if you invest in, in stocks or you invest in annuities or you invest in angel funds. I don't care. I just want you to get these basics down. And the basic of the reserve account is you leverage it to your network to be able to buy yourself into deals that get you closer to rich. And the buy-in is, for me, the buy-in has never been less than 100K. You're 100% on point. Uh, I had to read a lot about money because nobody in my family was equipped to teach me about money. So I had to go and, you know, when you, you talk about it in the book, but how you increase your network is not always, you may not have access to people, but if someone does write a book, I would read it. You know, I, I remember reading books as, when a billionaire writes a book, I'm the first person to read it. This is a person spending their time telling you what they, what they know. Like, this is like, if Matt wrote this book, he's doing, you know, you're going to crack 200 million a year in business revenue. Like when, when people can understand that if you spent the time to write your words of wisdom, I would highly recommend that people get their hands on it and, and read it. Um, when you talk about money, this is what asset allocation is, right? Putting your money in certain buckets and everyone is just so used to dumping their money into one thing into and, one. you know, letting it go wherever it goes. But we've got to tell money what to do. We've yeah. got to get it working yeah. for us, right? And it wants to be told what to do. It, it wants to be submissive to us. It just, yeah. it just needs to be controlled. I use the example of an old dog. It just wants to roll over and have its tummy petted. But, but we don't. And we, we, we treat it like it's a lion that's always chomping at our heels. And I'm on the other side of it as you are. Once you control the money and you dictate it, it's just—it's literally just like a game. It's just putting it where it's supposed to go. The key is you do have to have this machine that spits out tokens, though, and that is the earning you know, potential, the platform that the individual yes. chooses. And most people choose really lousy platforms. They have these huge dreams of Lambos, and they, their platform has no chance of giving it to them. So let's talk about that, because in the book, you know, I put uh, a heart beside that because... This is a topic that so many people need to really understand because people talk about passion today, right? Like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not really passionate about that. And I'm like, who said you have to be passionate about it? You'll get passionate about what you're good at. Listen, I'm in life insurance. I'm not passionate about death, but people are dying. Like this is what we do and it's an awesome platform, yes, right? Yep. Same thing with, with your business. Yep. I'm sure when you were eight years old, you weren't dreaming about finance, fine, be, owning a finance company, you know? But what you no. did was you smartened up mm -hmm. and in the book you said, I'm gonna do what banks do. Mm -hmm. That line in there is gold. Mm -hmm. When you said like, if a bank is spending their, not their money, it's our money. Don't right. get fooled by that. If they're taking our money and making more money off of it, it follow it is a great system to generate money. Yeah. And, 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 and those industries, just like your industry and my industry, um, maybe your industry, not so much as mine, because I know a lot of young hustlers in your industry, right? 
But in my industry, the, the, the guys and gals, in my, they're, they're like all out to pasture. They all have, they're all in their late 50s and they're saying to themselves, I'm almost done paying off the house. The kids are almost out of college. I, I just, it, as long as I don't get fired for another five years, maybe I'll have a retirement. That's the industry you want to go into. Those guys, they're, they're, no one is dinosaurs. hustling in these. They're dinosaurs. You're right. Yep. No one is hustling in these old, boring industries. And they have, be, they have resurfaced as incredible platforms for young people to get into and make serious bank and move up the food chain, the success food chain, very quickly. Some in, my industry has almost a 30-year gap between a kid who comes in at 25 and his boss, who's probably in his 50s. That means you could run the damn place at 35 and get big, fat options and a a really nice base salary and health insurance. And by the time you're 45 years old, you could retire with whatever that number is. And, And the major thing in that, I would add, is to apprentice under people that have been in the business for a long period of time that understand the business. So yeah. I think that's major. Yeah. You know, you can, um, in terms of the skill up, you know, that's something I'd like to talk a little bit about because I think, and you give a phenomenal, I, I think I even wrote the, the page down. I was like, yeah, buddy, go. When, when the person you are about to hire was like, do you train here? And you're like, I'm not paying you to like train you. You better bring something to me. I think this is a lost concept, right? Where people are just like, you know, I want to join a company that can give something to me. Be like, excuse me, the company is paying you. You better be giving something to the company. Dude, I don't pay you to train you. I pay you to finance trucks. That's what I finance. That's what I pay you but to do. You got to train yourself, man. And I do, I do offer it, right? We do have a lot of that stuff, but I have no responsibility to train you. That's your job, dude. Your jo- I, my job is to make sure your check clears. That's what my job is. Right. So your, you know, I think this is a mindset thing because it's the same in, in my business. You know, we spend so much on training, yeah. but we don't want someone walking in here feeling entitled to be trained. And if we didn't train them properly, they didn't make it. No, you are a massive part of that equation. So if you could teach, you know, the people that are listening, why are, why now more than today is, is skill development, the ability to learn so important because when I interview people, I'm not necessarily concerned about what past skills you have. What is your ability to come into an organization and want to learn? Yeah, it's super important. Um, You know, you, you, a great question to ask in, in an interview process or to a coworker, or certainly when you're looking in the mirror is who are you watching? Who are you reading? And who are you listening to? If someone can't give me that answer, they are totally out in my organization. If you can't tell me who you're watching, who you're listening to and who you're reading, you're, you're toast here. There's no chance you make it. So, I mean, it's never been easier. It's called Google. It's called YouTube. And to the networking point, Sabrina, which I think is so important. How do you move up the food chain with your network? It's like Jim Rohn said, people of interest do interesting things. You got to do some cool shit. So whether it's write a book or have a podcast or be fit or play piano or run triathlons or jump out of planes, you got to do something cool because if you're trying to move up the food chain with money, you won't entice the rich people by talking about money. They already won. 
They want to talk about stuff they're not doing that you do do. That's what makes you interesting. And I've seen that with this book. It's amazing how, um, how a book moves you closer to a person of interest and people want to be around interesting people. So it's amazing who returns my phone calls now that I have a book with a major publisher. It's wild. Yeah. No, I, I love this. Uh, you talk about culture in the, in the book too. You know, what, why is it important for a leader specifically to be able to set a tone for a culture and to create a culture that they can be proud of, something they can look back and say, like, my footprint is there. Uh, can you speak about that a little bit? I think entrepreneurship is, entrepreneurship is magical. For those of us who are entrepreneurs, we are so gifted. How did we get so lucky that we were tapped with a skill set that can lead other people who need us, right? And so to me, culture is where that magic happens. It's where the underdog can come in and be treated with respect. It's where the bully gets bullied. It's where the weak kid who got pushed off the swing set can be a superhero. That is the responsibility of a world-class entrepreneur. And that is manifested in the culture that they create. And that's why culture is so important. Right. You know, I had someone uh, tell me this a long time ago, and I, it just stuck in my head. It said, be careful whose feet you step on because they might be connected to the ass that you have to kiss one day. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I, you know, being in this business, it, it taught me that because, you know, I, I was, I was looked at and people like looked oh, like past me and was like, Oh, you know, whatever, let's see if you got it. But it, it's how you take that in, right? Like a true entrepreneur can take pain, can take struggle. Yeah. Yeah. We use it to like fuel us up. So you know, in, in closing, wrapping this up, I wanted to just touch on something that's important to me. So before I get to like the, the final question for you, I want for people to be able to access you, right? So, you know, if I want to learn more about Matt Monero, I want to learn about what he does. Like, how do I follow you? How do I see if you're interesting? Like, uh, what, what do you do? Uh, yeah. What, you know, how do I follow you? Can you share with us? Yeah, I mean, look, it's mattmonero.com. It's at Matt Monero on all social platforms. The book's available anywhere books are sold on Amazon, Walmart, Barnes, and they're at Barnes and Nobles across the country. But, you know, it's, what you bring up is an important thing because we get flooded with so many personalities to look at. Um, we got to pick one or two or three. And yeah. I think what people get from me, at least I hope, is that, um, you know, I, I'm not afraid of telling you the pain that I have lived as a person and as a business owner. Man, I had a lot of head cheese as a young kid, you know. My, my real dad left when I was six months old. I never saw him again. My adopted dad was a major hard ass. Um, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on. Even though I was trying to get a business off the ground, my business could have been much more successful earlier on if I had cleaned up a lot of that head cheese. And I'm, I'm not afraid to put that kind of messaging on through my podcast or videos and stuff like that. I, I recognize that, um, that the great ones are a little twisted anyway, and I'm not afraid to share that message. So I would hope people can get that. They can get authenticity and transparency. I had lunch 
with a good buddy of mine who he runs like a $3 billion hedge fund. And he's like, man, I've been watching some of your videos. He's like, he's like, you know what's funny about it? He's like, when I watch it, he's like, you make me think that even I can do better. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I want you to do because I'm an underdog and I work with underdogs. I hire underdogs. I hire people who've been shit on. My customers are people who've been crapped on. If you were to come to my office as a trucker, you know, you, a trucker will drive whatever, 200,000 miles a year. They'll go into all these different warehouses and drop off freight and all that sort of stuff, and nobody will ever call them by their name. But if that same trucker comes into my office, on the flat screen at the front, his name will always be there. He'll walk into my office, and he will be treated like a hero from the minute he walks in. And that's my life, man. How does the underdog get better and do something meaningful? That's what somebody gets if they follow me. At least that's a hope. No, I, I love that. Uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, legacy has to be the reason, you know, the why behind what we're doing. You know, I, I'm trying to bring back like books to people. Like this is something that's passionate to me because for me, I was scared when I got into business and I'm not afraid to say that. And the one thing that I always do, and I still do it today is I still put myself in scary situations. You know, yeah. when you talk about increasing your network, I always hang around people that constantly make me feel like I'm broke. Like I am not doing well and I need to step up my game. You know, this is what, what books allow you to do. It allows you to get into the mind of some great thinkers. Mm -hmm. And so when you write a book, you're really writing out, you're pouring yourself into this work. You know, my question for you, Matt, my final question is like, what, what ultimately do you want to be remembered for? Like what, what is the footprint that you want to have left in this world? So when Matt is not physically here, he still continues to live on through a message. So, you know, it comes back to core values for me. My number one core value is to be a better father to my three boys than my father was to me. That is a major driving force of my life, right? Um, because I don't think I had that. I, I, I don't think, I know I didn't have that. What a missed opportunity for him and for me. We both missed out. So that's number one priority for me. How do I, how do I be a world-class father? But secondly, I want to be known as a guy who always played it straight. In other words, and, and I, I, I have that legacy in business, you know, that my clients and my vendors know that I'm straight as a string. Like you, you will, I'll never screw you over ever 23 years in business. I've never missed a paycheck and I pay every Friday in here and I've never made a compensation change ever. And that means that my number one guy who's been with me 17 years makes stupid money, <laughs> right? Every rich guy that I talk about says that guy needs a pay cut. And I say, I won't do it. And you want to know something funny? That guy came to me not too long ago and said, um, he said, if you ever want to change the comp plan, I'm more than happy to just go. And he named the base salary that he would take, which is a big number, but less than he's making. He said, I'd be comfortable with that. You know, I mean, he's like, I never thought I'd make this much money. And I never thought, you know, but you gave me this opportunity. And I said, buddy, that'll never happen. Ever. Oh, wow. That will never change. You and I struck a deal all those years ago and I will always live up to it. So uh, I don't care about names on buildings. Um, I don't care about garages full of cars or artwork on walls. That's not important to me. But I do want to be known 
as if you knew me, you knew that I played our relationship straight. I was never the guy that screwed you over. And I know that because, I mean, listen, I've, I've been screwed over by a friend just from writing the book. One of my buddies in the book is no longer my friend. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I know what it's like to get screwed over. Every successful person knows what it's like to get screwed over, you know? For and sure. I, and I, don't, I never want to be looked at as a guy who screwed anybody over. I mean, I just think it's despicable. I think it's downright despicable to be like that. And the reason I can say that is because I screwed people over early on in my life. Right? I took advantage of situations to get, to get um, what I thought was a move up and a leg up. It's just not for me anymore, man. I want to play it straight. Yeah, we have to live with ourselves in the end, yeah, right? I want to put my head on the pillow and realize that I played the game as best I possibly could. And part of that is character. And part of that is, uh, is honesty and transparency and humility. Um, uh, by the way, those are qualities that I see in a lot of really rich people that I hang out with. They're not. They're the most humble people. You know, I mean, the, I'm having dinner with my, one of my buddies tonight. I mean, the guy drives like a, you know, like a, like a, I don't know, like an eight-year-old car. I mean, it's just, if you saw him, you'd never think anything worth it. He manages $3 billion hedge fund. I mean, he's just, when, when, the, game is, when the game of money is won, then real life really starts. It's like I say, you know, when the, when the paycheck on Friday doesn't matter anymore, that's when real life really begins. Right. And your message, it, it comes across very clear in the book. Um, it's, it's a good read, you know, because it's, it's common sense, yeah. but at the same time, I don't like saying that it's common sense because it, it is, uh, it's something coming from a voice that we should pay attention to and hear what you have to say. So I appreciate your time. I think, you know, what you do, what you're doing now is phenomenal by giving people access to you. And mm. it's just what you're saying about, you know, the guy, you know, a $3 billion hedge fund, and he's just normal. I love that about people. Yeah. You know, when you get around people and they're just like, you know, they're a normal person. They like to laugh. They like to talk about normal things. So we appreciate yeah. you being one of those business leaders of the world that wants to have people that have access where you share your knowledge so we can all learn from it and grow as a result. So thank you, Matt, for your time. Thank you, Sabrina. I'm grateful for you. Keep up the fight, the entrepreneurial magic that you're, that you're delivering to your organization too. I can see it. Oh, for sure. I, I enjoy it. So I, I went out of the the daily grunt. Now now I'm having fun. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah, when it starts good. to get more magical, right? Yeah, it is. It's magical. Yeah. Awesome. My pleasure to you're be awesome. with you. So are you. You're a business warrior. Thank All right. you. Very Thanks much. for having me. It was great. Okay. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye. That's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.